0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode four of the Lib Results podcast. I'm your host, Cole Meyer, coming to you from a permaculture paradise out here near Missoula, Montana. So I uh, began my journey. Um, I'm doing this little sabbatical thing. Uh, I ran across a camper couple days ago and uh uh, she said oh you're on a walkabout i I think i like that better i'm on a walkabout so i'm on a walkabout um if you saw the posts on the on the website if not uh, go to libresults.com and you can you can read all about it but i've essentially picked up and moved i decided to put all my worldly belongings into storage and load up my car with camping gear and go wherever the wind may carry me and so far the wind has carried me um through washington into oregon to yeah, through Washington into Ork. Not oh, dying it. <laughs> I'm not editing. Through Washington into uh, Idaho and then into Montana. Missoula area. I did a little bit of camping right around this area, and then I'm finally hooked up with uh, the the Duke of Permaculture himself, Paul Wheaton. So I'm at his uh, I'm at his uh, his permaculture compound. It's absolutely wonderful and amazing here. Um, really enjoying it so far, and I will be definitely I'll definitely be having more um, to talk and to say and to, to write about my experiences here as as we go along. But before I got into all that, I, I decided that I wanted to continue on with my uh, uh, Liberty technology-based podcasts that I was uh, that I had started with Libresults. Um, I'm also going to be documenting my, my travels as well because, well, it is all kind of related to me and my own personal liberty. Um, you can't get much more free than camping in a car. I mean, or not in a car, but in a tent in a car. Whatever. You get the idea. So anyways, uh, without further ado, I want to get into episode four, which is an introduction to Bitcoin and uh for me bitcoin is uh is is very much related to liberty as um as as far as i'm concerned it's the world's first money that is um completely uncontrollable by any one entity uh governments bad people you name it it's it's something that is a uh, probably in my opinion probably the most independent and free creation that i've ever seen it's it's definitely in my opinion everything is in my opinion. So just, just take everything I say with a grain of salt. It's all in my opinion. I'm going to stop saying that. I'm gonna, at least I'm going to try to. In my opinion, I'm going to stop saying that. All right. So anyways, here we go. Um, I've written this up already. So I'm kind of sort of just going to read it moderately verbatim as I've already written um, uh, that on the article. So if you don't want to listen to the podcast, I guess you just go read the article. Anyway, so I'm going to start off with basically saying that, like it or not, Bitcoin has been invented. It's here. It, it It's going to make its way into your life whether you like it or not. It is, um, it is going to slowly take over everything. And I don't see how it can be stopped. I mean, there's a possibility that in some weird way, maybe there's a bug in the code or, or something that it's going to be stopped. But I somehow doubt it. As we're sitting right now, there's right around $900 billion worth of uh, market cap that Bitcoin has. That's a whole heck of a lot of money that is uh, securing the Bitcoin network right now. Um, well, that, I mean, that's not securing the Bitcoin network. That's a whole lot of money that's in the Bitcoin network. And there are thousands upon thousands of computers, all independently owned and operated, that are securing the Bitcoin network. So yeah, like it or not, it's here. It's here to stay for good, bad or for, bad or for worse. I mean, it it is a thing. It exists and it will more than likely continue to exist um, and it will probably take over. It, it it will probably take over as a money system. It may, may, may not happen in my lifetime, but at some point it'll probably take over as money for everybody on the planet. That's kind of what it appears to be doing. So... Uh, The invention of Bitcoin, you know, is a lot like the invention of the automobile. It's going to have a profound effect in your daily life. Um, And it's probably not in the so distant future, you know. Uh, I believe it's important to have at least a basic understanding about how to use it. So you don't need to understand how it works in order to use and benefit from it. You know, much in the same way, like, you don't need to know exactly how a car works in order to be able to drive down the road and go to the store. You know, the nuances of the internal combustion engine are irrelevant to your ability to drive down to the store to pick up some milk. So I'm going to discuss uh, the very, very, very basics about Bitcoin. I'm not going to go into too much detail or dive into the technologies because, frankly, that's a rabbit hole that gets pretty deep and it gets really, really confusing. And the, the whole goal is to not confuse you. It's a, the whole goal is to give you an introduction to this new fancy monetary system that is probably going to change the world for the better. At least that's what I hope. So what things I'm going to cover um i I want to cover what money is. Uh in order to understand what Bitcoin is, you kind of have to have a at least a very basic understanding of what money is. I think most of us already do. Um money is a pretty deep subject, so I'm not going to go too far into that. I'm going to talk about what Bitcoin is, um what are the problems that Bitcoin solves or is attempting to solve and what problems does Bitcoin create because there are nothing's perfect in this world, so there are problems that Bitcoin has itself. Uh, I'm going to talk about how you can get Bitcoin, how to secure your Bitcoin, and how to spend your Bitcoin. And then uh, after, at the very end, I'm going to go a very, very, very light uh, intro into the Lightning Network, which is uh, the Lightning Network tries to address some of the problems that Bitcoin creates or Bitcoin has. It tries to solve some of those. All right. So to jump right into it, what is money, right? Everybody knows what money is. We use it every day, pretty much. But um, money... Is more than just what we use every day. It, it it's a it's a concept that is um has a lot of a lot of properties. In order for something to be money, it has to have a lot of certain properties, and uh, um, in order for it to be good money. So this is an extremely large topic, and, and I could talk about it for many many hours. Um, so I'm just going to be covering what it is in a very broad sense. Uh, you know, like what pr- primarily what money is to the average person today. Um. So fundamentally, money is a way that you can store value earned from goods and services over time so that later that value can be exchanged back into other goods and services. What I mean by that is like an example here is uh, you spend an hour mowing somebody's lawn and they pay you 100 bucks. So the money that you received represents your time and labor that you spent mowing that lawn. So you invested your time and labor into mowing this person's lawn. And uh, they, in, in return, hand you a piece of paper that uh, is worth supposedly 100 U.S. dollars on it. Okay, So you've, you've taken your life energy and exchanged it for a piece of paper. Um, it, and you, you can think about that paper as being like a battery that holds your life's energy. So that hundred dollars, that hundred dollar piece of paper, is worth one hour of you mowing the lawn or whatever—the the, the labor and energy that you that you expended that you'll never get back. That's what uh, the that one hundred dollar bill represents. it's kind of like a battery that you can store your life's energy into. And once you have that piece of paper, you can then exchange it for somebody else's goods and services. Um, And that's so long as the other person who's receiving that piece of paper agrees that that piece of paper is a fair trade for whatever they're giving you because they put their life energy into whatever they're producing to give to you. And that could be uh, their their goods and services, you know, I I don't know, somebody cleaning your windows (laughs) or whatever. They're trading their life's energy in exchange for that $1 bill, which you previously traded your life energy for to give and to, to, to get right. So you hand them that, that hundred dollar bill. And you receive value from them. They receive value from you. And you just continue it over and over again. That person then spends the money and does something else. So that's the way I like to think about money. Um, there are so many other different ways that you can you can talk about what money is and, and so forth. but that to me that that's the one that makes the most sense is it's a way of storing your your value, your your time, your labor, your energy, your life's energy into something that can be used at a later date to receive something else. Good services you name it. And money itself doesn't have to be a piece of paper, as we all know. Um, it could be anything from, you know, back in the old days, they used seashells. Uh, it could be gold. It could be many, and many things in between. Uh, rocks, wampum, you name it. There, there's been so many different forms of money throughout history. Uh, so it doesn't have to be a dollar bill. It could be anything, as long as uh, there's a system in place that people agree upon what the value is for that dollar bill or, or seashell or wampum or whatever. And, uh, in order for something to be considered good money, it should have certain properties. And, uh, the, this is just a short list of properties that money should have in order to be considered good money, sound money. Uh, there is a, a much larger list. I think it's like 15 or 16 different items that, that is laid out in the, oh I can't remember if it's, a. Uh, the Bitcoin Standard, or if it's the book, Why Buy Bitcoin. Both are good books, by the way, worth reading. Um, but these, these are one, two, three, six of them here I'm going to list. Um, a, a sound money should be durable. You know, it's not easily transformed or destroyed. Uh, a, a great example of that is gold. You can't, it's very, very difficult if not impossible, to just destroy gold. You can take gold, throw it at the bottom of the ocean, come back a thousand years later, and it's still gold. It It's amazing. It has amazing durability pro- properties. Dollar bill, not so much. You know, it's pretty easy to, to destroy a dollar bill. Um, it can survive a wash a few times, but it it you know doesn't do well in fire. Portable. It needs to be easy to possess and to move about the world. The dollar bill is excellent in this respect. You can put a bunch of them in your pocket a hundred dollar bill you can put a thousand dollars in your pocket and walk down the road no big deal um electronically you can move it about the world fairly well there are some issues with uh going through different uh banking systems that attach a lot of fees and so forth and then there's a bunch of rules and regulations about transferring money from place to place to place so it's a heck of a lot easier to transport than gold which is the main reason why we use these paper notes and now in now they're in digital form but This is the main reason why we use this, because gold was uh, not that easy to to move around. It needs to be fungible, which means that each unit of the money (laughs) needs to be easily exchangeable. Um, And the way I understand this, and I might be wrong about this, but the way I understand this is that like um, four quarters equals a dollar and one dollar equals four quarters. And it's pretty obvious that when you have four quarters, you have four quarters. It equals a dollar. It's fungible. Um, I may be not getting that definition correct, but that's the way I understand it. Uh, money needs to be scarce. So in other words, it needs to be not easily obtained. Um, gold is a good example of that. It's really hard to get gold. You have to dig a hole to get the gold, and you have to put a lot of labor into getting getting gold. Uh, modern money nowadays, dollar bills, not so scarce. I mean, they just printed like a bazillion trillion dollars this year, uh, just by pushing a button. So modern money is no longer scarce. So it's, it's missing that quality of, of, uh, what do you call it? Uh, scarcity. Um, Bitcoin on the other hand is scarce and we'll get into that later. Divisible. I think that's self-explanatory. You can take a dollar bill, divide it up into a hundred pennies. That's pretty obvious. You can take a, a Bitcoin and divide it up into 100 million Satoshis, um, so divisible is pretty self explanatory you can take a gold coin cut it in half recognizable you should be able to know that the money that you have is the money that you have um, Gold can be not recognizable like if you don't really understand what gold the properties of gold are, you could be fooled fools gold into accepting something that's not really gold uh there There have been cases up in modern day cases of people finding out that their gold bars that they have in these banking institutions are actually tungsten. They're filled full of tungsten with a, a gold outer coating. So uh, sometimes it's not as easy to recognize uh, gold, for example. Dollar bills, pretty recognizable. $100 bills, same thing, but they can be counterfeited and they can be very, very difficult to actually recognize them to be genuine. Bitcoin, on the other hand, it's not counterfeitable. We'll get into that later. Um, Bitcoin does have all these properties. It's durable, it's portable, it's fungible, it's scarce, it's divisible, and it's recognizable. It also has a bunch of other properties, which I'm not going to get into, uh, that make it uh, pretty amazing. All right, so I had a little bit of technical difficulties. Uh, If the audio quality has changed, I apologize. I'll explain at the end of the podcast as to what happened. But picking up where we left off, what is a Bitcoin? Bitcoin is the world's first digital money that uh, has all the qualities that a sound digital money is supposed to have we've had digital money for a long time that the dollar itself is digital for the most part and that uh you know when you go to the bank and you deposit your check there's no actual physical dollar bills in the bank it's just some computer code there's a little bit of a there's a, some sort of spreadsheet basically or database entry that says that you have x amount of dollars um so Bitcoin wasn't the first digital money, but Bitcoin is the first digital money that possesses all the qualities that a sound money has. Uh, the durability, portability, fungibility, scarcity, and the recognizability. Uh, especially the scarcity scarcity one is is more relevant nowadays because the digital dollars that are sitting in your bank account, the people at the Fed, all they got to do is just flip a switch, type a couple of buttons or type a couple of keys on a keyboard and they just, voila, bring money into an existence. It's not scarce. It's not scarce at all. So the problems that Bitcoin solves um, in the world when it comes to money is counterfeiting. Uh, just like you you just can't just create Bitcoin will and nilly. You have to uh, mine it. And we may or may not get into mining later, but it has to be, it has to be created not counterfeited. So you can't just copy it. Uh, you know, like back in the days of Napster, there was a huge issue with people copy, where well, there was perceived issue of people copying music and, and sharing it left and right. Uh, with, with digital goods, you can do that. You can send a picture across the world uh, and and copy it a million times, and it's an exact 100% replica. You can't tell the original from the copy, the difference between the original and, and the copy. You cannot do that with Bitcoin. The the way that the mathematics work in Bitcoin is that once a Bitcoin is in existence, it is unique. And your possession of that is also unique. You, you are the only one that's able to possess it and spend it. And it uses all kinds of clever math tricks and network effects to make it virtually uncopyable. Um, so you can't spend it twice. It's practically impossible to do so. And it's important because there is a possibility that a Bitcoin can be double spent, meaning that I can send you a Bitcoin and then I can send somebody else a bit the the same Bitcoin and try to buy, try to buy two separate things with the same Bitcoin. Uh, in order to do that, it requires what's called a 51% attack, and it is incredibly impractical to do. So it's practically impossible to do. Uh, it's very impractical. It it would ju- say okay. So just like you can take, you can take um, lead and transmute it into gold using, I think it's nuclear fission. The amount of energy that you would need to expend to do that to it, uh, say an ounce of lead to create an ounce of gold, it would be it would cost way more than the ounce of gold is actually worth. So it's not practical to do so. So just because I could double spend a Bitcoin or I can reverse a transaction on some Bitcoin things uh, using what's called the 51% attack, it's not practical to do so. It would require more resources and more money than it would be, than, than would be gained. So it's practically uncounterfeitable. Um, another thing is that uh, you can secure your wealth trustlessly and securely. Uh, for the first time ever in history, are you able to have your money set aside in a secure p- way that nobody can steal from you? Unless you do something really stupid, like, you know, leave uh, leave your magical Bitcoin keys out there for other people to get. Um, but you wouldn't do that, right? Just like you secure the keys to your car so that people just don't steal your car as as you... Yeah, you, you just don't leave your keys out for, for anybody to grab. You you are responsible for securing your keys. If you secure your keys properly, nobody can steal your Bitcoin. It is mathematically, I want not say impossible, but same same as the previous one. It's very, very impractical for someone to try it. It may take them longer than the universe is, is in existence to guess your private keys in order to transfer your Bitcoin into their wallets. So... <clears throat> Bitcoin can be secured, but all you have to do is remember twelve magical words, uh, which is con- called a seed phrase for your private keys. If you can memorize twelve magical words, you could keep your Bitcoin forever from getting into anybody else's hands. And you don't even have to have a computer to have that Bitcoin. You could tr- you could uh, you could be anywhere and still have uh, control to that Bitcoin. Which which brings me to the trustless transportation. You can transport your Bitcoin across the internet instantaneously, well, pretty much instantaneously, to anybody in the world and uh, in, in in just completely trustlessly, sorry, <laughs> completely trustlessly. You don't have to um, worry that uh, some bank is not going to allow your uh, wire to go through because of some esoteric law or some bullshit regulation that they have uh you can just do it you don't need anybody's permission you can just send it i can send a bitcoin from from me to you you could be in zimbabwe i could be in madagascar it doesn't matter it just goes across as long as you and i both have access to the internet and bitcoin wallets i can just go we can go ahead and transfer and make that happen and uh the really cool thing about that is is that as long as you can memorize that seed phrase let's say you're you're a millionaire You have a million dollars worth of Bitcoin and you want to move and you're in a place like, say, Turkey, I think, so I just listened to a podcast here a while back about this guy who, uh, his family was in Turkey. I believe it was on, I think it was on the What Bitcoin Did podcast. It doesn't matter. Uh, so this guy, his family was in Turkey and, uh, his father had a business there and they were going to move to America, but... They, the Turkish government wouldn't allow him to take his money with him. So he elected to stay back while his kids went to America. Um, and I, I find that to be a travesty. You know, you work your entire life to earn and to try to save. And then you decide, you know, I, I want to move, right? You should be able to take your property with you. Well, the government sometimes doesn't allow that. They can't stop you from taking your Bitcoin because there's no Bitcoin for you to take really. You don't have possession of Bitcoin. All you have possession of is a magical 12-word seed phrase that gives you access to Bitcoin that is available anywhere on the world in the world. As long as you have access to the internet, you have access to your Bitcoin. So you can jump on a plane from Turkey, fly over to the United States or any other country of your choice, get in get on the internet And now you have access to all your million dollars worth of Bitcoin. There's absolutely nothing that they can do to stop that from happening. That is a first in human history. That is very, very, in my opinion, very profound. There were people who, um, during the World War II era, uh, trying to leave Nazi Germany. There was this one story I heard, probably from the same podcast, uh, where a guy was being clever to try to, to take wealth out of Germany, made metal hangers out of platinum and put a bunch of clothes on it. And so that when he got stopped at the border and they looked and just, they opened up his uh, luggage and just saw a bunch of clothing with some wire hangers. And then he was able to, to leave with his wealth in the form of platinum metal. Um, very, very risky. What if it got stolen? What if uh, the, they recognized it somehow? Or what if they just said, oh, these are some nice clothes and took it and took the hangers? That's stealing, right? Um, he'd have been SOL. But... If Bitcoin existed, all he would have to do is rem- memorize 12 words. And he could just easily take his wealth wherever he went. So anyways, that's a really cool thing um, about Bitcoin, is the ability to transport it anywhere in the world without requiring anybody's permission to do so. Uh, Bitcoin is the only money that has ever been in existence that has a actual, true, limited supply. Uh, there's only going to be approximately 21 million Bitcoins ever produce in existence there's that's hard written into the code uh there's not going to be 22 million there's not going to be 18 million or 19 20 million there's there's gonna be a, right around 21 million i think it's 21 million and some change and that won't uh that 21 million the 21 the, the last bitcoin will be mine sometime check sorry about that the last bitcoin will be mine sometimes sometime, sometime around Twenty one forty, I think it is. So a long time from now, um, as as I speak right now, there's over eighteen million Bitcoin in existence. So we're almost there to the twenty one million. The so, it is the scarcity that this twenty one million cap is is what ensures that Bitcoin is always going to retain its value. It is truly scarce. Like gold itself, while there is a finite amount of gold. On the planet, a, a lot of it is still in the ground. And when Bitcoin prices, or when Bitcoin, when gold prices go up, that incentivizes miners to invest in new technologies to go out and dig more gold out. So the supply, for all practical purposes, is not really finite. There's a, a there's always an incentive to go out and get more. Uh, we don't know what the actual what the actual supply of, of gold is. Um, so Bitcoin is the only money that has ever been created that has an actual hard cap. Boom. That's it. 21 million ish. (laughs) Bitcoin is also one, provides 100% accountability. And what I mean by that is every single transaction from the very first transaction ever created by, I think it was Satoshi. I don't, I don't know who did it. Actually, I think it, I think it was to, yeah, the first transaction was, I'm sure it was by Satoshi, but the, the first thing I ever purchased, um, was, I think it was pot, <laughs> whatever. Each and every single Bitcoin transaction is recorded in a publicly audible ledger. What I mean by that is, is that the books are open. You can see you and me, anybody can look at every single transaction that has ever occurred and will ever occur on the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, what what's profound about that is you can audit everything. If if you know uh, some if you know that somebody's in possession of certain Bitcoin addresses, you can see their purchases. If you want to verify that your bank um, or or whatever financial institution that you want to use for whatever reasons you want to verify that how much Bitcoin they have, they can give you the uh, the uh, uh, a viewing key to look into their uh, holdings, and you can see what they have. And you can see all the transactions that they've done. It is 100% public. There's pluses and minuses to that, right? So um, you can be assured that your Bitcoin rightfully belongs to you because you can see where it came from. And this is practically impossible with any other kind of money system, right? So that's just a, a a small handful of some of the things that that bitcoin solves uh this accountability thing is actually is a it's a double edged sword it's a plus and a minus but um as far as anonymity goes and, and privacy but you can be assured that that bitcoin belongs to you and then uh bitcoin while not being perfect does create some problems uh one of the the most important ones for an an average user to understand is um, you need to be personally responsible for that 12 magical word seed phrase. If you lose that, you've lost your Bitcoin. It's the same thing as if you take a dollar bill and you lit it on fire. It is gone and it is gone forever. So if you lose your private keys, you lose your Bitcoin. Simple as that. If it's not your keys, they're not in your possession. You don't have control over it. It's not your Bitcoin. So you need to make sure that you actually take care of that, that that phrase. Way more important than taking care of your car keys, because you can always call a locksmith to come and make a new key for your car. You cannot call a Bitcoin smith to come and make a new key for your Bitcoin. They don't exist. And what I said earlier, not your keys, not your Bitcoin, that's important it's important to know that if you do not control your private keys, then whoever owns your, your private keys, whoever has control of them, um, they own your Bitcoin. So if you leave your seed phrase sitting out on a, a post-it note next to your computer and some guy walks by, picks it up and enters it into the, into his wallet and moves your Bitcoin out of your, out of your, you know, out of your wallet into, into his, there's nothing you can do to stop that. It's done. He is now in the, the owner of the Bitcoin. You are not. So when you buy Bitcoin and you say from Coinbase, for example, and uh, they say, oh, yeah, you spend $100, you buy $100 of the Bitcoin. They say, yeah, we have your $100. You can trade it and whatnot. You don't actually own that Bitcoin. Coinbase does. we'll get into that more later, I believe. Um, so not your keys, not your coin. In other words, keep track of your keys. Um, another problem that gov- that uh Bitcoin has is that governments may not like you having Bitcoin. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think China just recently banned Bitcoin, right? That doesn't make sense to me. I mean, America banned alcohol. Look, how, look where that got us. They banned pot. Look where that got us. Everybody still smokes pot and a lot of people drink. But uh, the governments typically like to control the money within their respective borders, Um They cannot control Bitcoin, even if they wanted to. It is truly a money for the people and by the people. And because of this, it's a threat to them. It's a threat to their 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 power. They they want power over you. That's what governments. That's the whole job of government is to govern over others and and exert power. Um, so because no one can take your Bitcoin without your consent, and no one can can stop you from exchanging your Bitcoin with anybody else, right? This makes Bitcoin problematic for governments. Governments like to be in the middle of all the transactions. They want to get their cut. Um, they want to be able to take your money without your, your your consent. Like if you do something that pisses off the government, they can seize your seize your bank. They can you know they can say no more. Take his money out of the bank. Um, they here in America they like to do IRS withholdings so that when you get your paycheck, you don't actually get your full paycheck. A good chunk of it has already already been taken out for good old Uncle Sam. They can't do that with Bitcoin cannot be done so they don't like that um, And I, like I said earlier, a lot of governments don't allow you to take large money large amounts of money with you when you leave. so the whole idea behind the guys leaving Germany and and Turkey you know with their money, um, governments don't like it when you do that, and so they may have a problem with you owning Bitcoin. So, your government, my government as well, may try to do something to make your life more difficult if you own Bitcoin. So, hopefully, that doesn't really happen, but eh, you never know. But just like pot, just like alcohol, just like every other black market thing, they can't stop it. And Bitcoin is too big to be stopped. It's bigger than weed. Wow. That's, I can't believe I said that, but I think it's true. Bitcoin is bigger than weed. <laughs> Um, and as I said earlier, Bitcoin is not private because you can see every single transaction. If I can associate you with your Bitcoin address, I can see where you spend your money. Um, there are ways to be more private about Bitcoin and, and ways to, uh, to, to hide some of your transactions, but it's way beyond the scope of what I'm talking about today. But just suffice to say... Bitcoin is not private. It will never be really private, truly private. Or maybe it will. Maybe somebody will come up with some kind of clever scheme. But right now, it's not. So don't don't use it to buy hookers and blow or, or things that you don't want other people to know about, right? Uh, and there's some scalability problems with Bitcoin. Uh, and what I mean by that is, like, like Visa and MasterCard, they do, I don't know, billion transactions a day, maybe more. Uh, Bitcoin can only do... Bitcoin only records transactions on average every ten minutes. Many transactions can be recorded in that ten-minute time frame, but ten minutes is it. Uh, there was a huge debate a while back as to try to fix that, and there was back in I think it was two thousand seventeen or so, and, and Bitcoin Cash came about, and all this other stuff. We don't shouldn't go down that rabbit hole, but suffice to say. Bitcoin is a terrible means or a terrible type of money right now to use if you want to buy a coffee, because the way it works, every trans, every transaction gets recorded on average every ten minutes, um, and there is a fee associated with that. And sometimes those fees can get high. It's, its fees are based on supply and demand, and it's kind of an auction thing what what somebody's willing to pay for a fee. And if somebody's if a lot of people are willing to pay high numbers for fees, then you might be stuck having to pay a high fee as well. So it's entirely possible that in the future you try to buy a $2 coffee, uh, and you might have to pay $3 in fees and it will take 10 minutes for that transaction to go through. So the example would be, I I go to Starbucks, I try to buy a $2 coffee. I don't know why $2. You can't buy a $2 coffee at Starbucks. You try to buy a $5 coffee at Starbucks and, um, I say, here I pay in Bitcoin. It takes ten minutes for them to receive the Bitcoin, so they're not going to want it to stand around for ten minutes waiting for you to, to receive your bitcoin while you've got a line of people behind you. so this is a problem, and that five dollar bitcoin or five dollar uh, coffee may have cost you two, three, four, maybe five dollars in in fees. so there's a problem there scalability. Uh, then the more people that use bitcoin the the higher the fees are going to be. And the less trend, or the there's a finite amount of transactions that can occur in every every ten minutes. Um, so the the lightning network is a uh, a thing built on top of Bitcoin which solves this problem, but Bitcoin by itself has serious scalability problems. And then you got the problem of you're de- you're dependent on access to a network, right? So if you don't have internet. You don't have access to your Bitcoin. Now, that's a pain in the ass. If there's no electricity. Power goes out. Whatever. What are you going to do? So this is this is a a a, a problem with Bitcoin. And it's one one that a lot of the naysayers say. Well, you know, if the shit hits the fan and uh, you know the internet goes down and, and blah blah blah, you know, you're all your money is going to be all tied up. And and they're not wrong. <laughs> they're not wrong. But if it's really truly that bad, access to your Bitcoin is probably the least of your concerns. <laughs> You know, if if we we hit the Mad Max type zombie apocalypse type scenario, um, I'm not going to be worried about my Bitcoin so much as I'm going to be worried about where's my fishing pole, right? So anyways, um, but the upside to this is is that if Bitcoin becomes real money, like people start using it all the time, and there is a problem with the power and there is a problem with the internet, well then everybody everybody who uses it has an incentive to get those services back up and running as quickly as possible. Um, every single person who uses Bitcoin will have an incentive to also make sure that these types of things don't happen. You will, you will probably more than likely find, uh, people coming up with better innovative ways to make sure the power outages don't occur network outages don't occur. Several different ways to send Bitcoin, uh, with, with or without internet connection. There are some people that are experimenting with um, sending Bitcoin over ham radio. Uh, there are people who are experimenting sending Bitcoin um, over mesh networks using things like Raspberry Pis and whatnot all placed throughout outer neighborhood. So while the network connectivity and electricity is a problem, they are problems that more than likely can be solved. And if Bitcoin becomes so super important, then we're probably going to see very robust and redundant electrical and internet systems, which in a way, that's a good thing, right? All right. Uh, So finally, not even finally, I think I got more to go. (laughs) Next, how to get Bitcoin. All right. So how do you get your hands on some Bitcoin, right? Uh, There's a couple different ways you can get Bitcoin. You can buy it or you can uh, do something for it. So some, you know, earn it basically, just like you earn a paycheck. And just so you know that right now, I think Bitcoin's worth 40, $45,000 or so. I don't, I don't, I don't remember what it is right now, but um, you don't have to buy one Bitcoin. Each Bitcoin can be divide, divided up 100 million times. The smallest unit of a Bitcoin is called a Satoshi. Um, it's named after Satoshi Nakamoto, the guy who introduced Bitcoin to the world with his Bitcoin white paper back in like two thousand. Uh, nine i think or something like that a long time ago so you can buy ten dollars with the bitcoin you can buy five dollars with the bitcoin you can buy a hundred dollars with the bitcoin so doesn't matter if bitcoin goes to a million dollars of bitcoin you can still buy a small amount of bitcoin right uh probably the easiest way for people to buy bitcoin right now is to go to somebody someplace like coinbase um coinbase is is easy now you have to jump through a whole bunch of hoops. With Coinbase, because of the stupid, stupid government, you got to give them your name. You got to give them your bank account. You got to give them your social security number. Blah blah blah. I don't remember if I had to send them my copy of my ID. But the the American government put together this thing called KYC or Know Your Customer, so that any company that trades uh, dirty fiat for, you know, dollar bills for. Bitcoin has to "quote unquote" know your customer because the government wants to keep track of you. That's why they want to make sure you're not a terrorist or uh, some sort of a uh, money launderer or whatever. So you have to jump through their stupid hoops. But if you go to Coinbase, sign up with an account. I'll have an affiliate link down below. If you buy a hundred dollars of the Bitcoin, I think you get ten dollars of the Bitcoin, and I get ten dollars of the Bitcoin. Woohoo! Uh, You don't have to use Coinbase, but that's just the the one I've used. And it's the only one I can speak about. Um, So, yeah, you can buy it from there. So that's all cool. And then securing your Bitcoin, right? There are many ways that you can take custody of your Bitcoin. Like I said earlier, once you've bought Bitcoin and you have it on an exchange like Coinbase, it's really not your Bitcoin. It's Coinbase's Bitcoin. It's Coinbase's Bitcoin, and they allow you to use it. Just like when you put $100 into your bank account, it's is it really your $100? Because if the bank can say, nah, I'm not giving it to you, it's not really your $100. Coinbase could do that. I doubt they will, but they could. The government could tell Coinbase, uh, we don't like that guy, so uh, freeze his account and send his Bitcoin to us. And Coinbase would be compelled to, by law, to, 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 to do whatever the government says, so once you get your bitcoin on coinbase i highly recommend you get it off their asap bitcoin will or bitcoin coinbase will allow you to transfer it into uh your own wallet and that's what you need to do you need to get yourself a bitcoin wallet and there are um a few different ways to do it you can get one for your your uh computer one for your phone or you can get what are these called these hardware wallets and we'll go into that later um Actually, hardware wallets are kind of beyond the scope, so we probably won't talk much about those. But those are pretty interesting. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll visit that once I get one myself and have a little more experience with them. So, uh, so get yourself a coin, uh, a, a Bitcoin wallet. You can get a Bitcoin wallet uh, for your phone. I'm using Coinomi, Coinami, C O I N O M I. And I've used Jack's Liberty, but I'm kind of disenamored with them right now. So I, I don't know if I'd recommend using them anymore. Um, I did hear Jack Spirko talk about a recommendation that he had for a wallet uh, other than Jack's. Um, I forgot it. I'll put it in the show notes. But it it, it doesn't matter as long as it's secure. It's your, your Bitcoin. Um, I'm sorry. You keep control of your keys. That's what's important. Uh, that you have custody of your keys. Nobody else does. And once you have a wallet installed, um, it'll give you that magic twelve-word uh, seed phrase, right? You need to remember that. You need to put that into a safe place, a safety deposit box. Give it to somebody whom you trust with your dear life. So, and and you can also um, trust that they will keep it safe as well. Memorize it, whatever. So it's it's an, it's incredibly important to to once you've got it to keep that safe. Because once it's gone, it's gone. Uh, you lose it; you lost it forever, right? And then in the beginning, just send a few dollars, just or just buy a few dollars worth. Go to Coinbase, buy a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin. Don't buy a million dollars. Don't buy one. Like my brother, I think I'll buy a Bitcoin. I'm like, dude, no, that's stupid. Don't spend forty fucking thousand. <laughs> pardon my language. Don't spend forty thousand dollars in your very first Bitcoin transaction. That's dumb. Buy a hundred dollars worth. Check it out. Send some to a friend. Have them send it to you. Send some to you back. Do a little bit of a trading back and forth. Destroy your wallet. Um, yeah, in other words, take your wallet, delete it from your computer, reinstall it, enter in your your seed phrase, and see if it comes back. Right. But don't but don't do this with a lot of money. It's just, it's just dumb. Uh, once you're comfortable with it, once you've got got a feel for it, and you've you're you're not scared anymore go ahead and uh you know start hodling holding it's a bitcoin name for holding hodl it's it's a long story (laughs) but start holding start start accumulating your bitcoin and uh spending your bitcoin is pretty easy man it's really not hard uh the wallets the wallets make it simple you just i want to buy something from you um you show me your wallet with a little code i scan it and you receive it it it's simple i have a little workup that explains that more in detail on the website it it's pretty ridiculous it's not hard at all uh so yeah so that was my attempt to explain bitcoin um i had to do this over several days because uh so this, this going back to the apology earlier about the the, the sound quality um <laughs> i'm doing this in my car right now because i'm camping uh, i was at paul wheaton's place if you go to go to libresults.com and read all about it it's, it's it was amazing but i'm at paul wheaton's place and um i got these batteries set up in my car and all that stuff and but it would only it would only record my my, my battery would only last for maybe 20-30 minutes before not even that long before it would just start going beep 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 and and dying you may have heard the beep earlier in the podcast of it dying and so i just wasn't i couldn't figure out how i was going to do this and and make it sound good eventually i just ended up saying fuck it and i'm recording in my car with with my car running and my power inverter for my laptop outside the car so you don't hear its fan but i'm pretty sure you still probably hear the car the noise from the car engine but I figure, whatever, uh, don't let don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. So here I am doing this. Uh, one thing I also did want to say, and I probably should have put this out uh, before in the beginning of the podcast, is that this podcast is two point podcasting two point O compliant. And what that means is if you have a special kind of podcasting app that has a Bitcoin wallet attached to it, it is entirely possible for you to send Bitcoin to me while you're listening to the, uh, podcast. It's pretty amazing. If you go to newpodcastapps.com, uh, there, there are several different, different wallets there that'll explain this. I, f- I plan on writing an article describing this in more detail and possibly doing a short little five ten minute long podcast about this, but I think it's pretty amazing. And I highly recommend that, uh, You do that because I like money. And if you could send me money, that would make me feel really good. Speaking of sending me money, if you go to my LibResults website, I have a link for PayPal. Please click on it and send me whatever. Value for value, man. Uh, If you go to libresults.com forward slash support, I have a little write-up about what value for value means. And uh, just, just, you know, support me. Um, I'm still fumbling and bumbling my way around this. And uh, hopefully I get better. All right. I think I'll probably let you go with that. And uh, I will talk to you next time. Bye-bye.